I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Hi, Elise. Hi, Corey. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well also. I'm super excited because this is a big day for us as podcasters. First of all, we're in the new year, so we've been podcasting for one whole year or released for one whole year. Yes. So that's a big feat. The other reason I'm excited is because we're starting a new series. We're doing a whole new play. Yes, and I'm so excited to dive into this one. It is a complex play. I think a lot of people um, consider it one of his Mm -hmm. best plays, and there's going to be so much to talk about. So let's dive into a synopsis, shall we? that play is... Oh, yes. Let's give it a name. What's in a name? Drumroll, please. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. King Lear. We're going to talk about King Lear. And we picked this play, or I suggested this play, because I kept getting Lear quotes for quote of the episode. Mm. But I kept landing on Lear one day, and I was like, I think that this is a sign from the theater gods. It's from Dionysus himself. Will is reaching from beyond mm-hmm. the grave and saying, do this Let's one talk next. about King Lear. And like with all our plays, we're going to start off with a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Here we go. The play begins with the Duke of Kent and the Duke of Gloucester, two members of the court of King Lear, in mid-discussion about who they expect the king will divide his kingdom between, the Duke of Albany and the Duke of Cornwall. He seemed to like Albany better, but the division of the kingdom suggests that he may like them equally. They notice Edmund, who, Gloucester explains to Kent, is Gloucester's illegitimate son. Gloucester also mentions that he has a legitimate son, who is about a year older than Edmund. Gloucester introduces Edmund to Kent, just as the king enters. Entering with the king are his daughters, Regan, Goneril, and Cordelia, and the dukes of Albany and Cornwall. Lear instructs Gloucester to attend to the lords of France and Burgundy, who are offstage, and Gloucester exits to do so. Lear then gets to the matter at hand, dividing up his kingdom. Lear is tired of the business of being king, and thus is splitting up the kingdom into three parts to allow him to live out the rest of his days unburdened with responsibility. He plans to add the parts of the kingdom to his daughter's dowries, benefiting Albany and Cornwall, who are already married to two of the daughters. Lear will also make the decision between the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy, who have been suitors for his youngest daughter. He prompts his daughters to say who loves him most, as he will award the greatest bounty of his kingdom to the one who answers best. Goneril, the eldest daughter, goes first and says that she loves her father more than words can say and beyond anything that can be valued. Lear is satisfied and part of his kingdom that is filled with forests and rivers is given to her and her husband Albany. Then it is Regan's turn, who is wife of Cornwall. Regan declares that she likewise loves her father as her sister said, but goes even further. She receives no other joy than her father's love. Lear is again satisfied and gives her an equal share of the kingdom to Goneril. As her elder sisters have been speaking their turns, Cordelia has been struggling to figure out what she will say. And now it is her turn. Lear prompts her to say something that will deserve the final, and more opulent, third of the kingdom. But Cordelia can say nothing to top her sisters. Lear is displeased and Cordelia asserts that she loves him as a daughter should love a father, and no more. She finds fault in her sister's appeals. If they love their father with their whole hearts, why do they have husbands? When Cordelia marries, she argues, her husband will receive half her love and care and duty. She therefore couldn't love her father in the way that her sisters do. 
Lear is still displeased and calls Cordelia a stranger to him, even though he loved her most. Kent tries to intervene. However, Lear advises him not to get between the dragon, as Lear calls himself, and his wrath. He calls in France and Burgundy. As attendants go to fetch them, he tells Cornwall and Albany that the final third of his kingdom shall be split between Goneril and Regan. Cornwall and Albany will rule the kingdom jointly. Every month, Lear will travel between the two, and they shall support him and his 100 knights. Lear shall also retain the name and title of the king, but the responsibilities and wealth shall be given to his son-in-laws. Kent tries to intervene again, asking Lear to reconsider, as Kent does not believe that Cordelia loves Lear least, this exercise was folly, and Lear is making rash decisions. Lear banishes Kent. Then enter France and Burgundy. Lear informs them that Cordelia now has no dowry and asks if they are still interested in marrying her. The Duke of Burgundy wants no less than was previously promised in terms of titles and wealth. However, the King of France believes that Cordelia herself is dowry enough and sees her virtue as more valuable than the previously promised dowry. Everyone leaves except for France, Cordelia, Regan, and Goneril. France gives Cordelia a moment to say farewell to her sisters. She asks her sisters to take care of their father, even though she suspects their professed love was just for show as she knows how cunning they both are. They respond that she shouldn't tell them what to do and instead should focus on taking care of France. France and Cordelia leave. Regan and Goneril discuss their father's apparent infirmity and rashness and that they must do something to prevent being on the receiving end of his wrath in the future. Lear will head to Goneril's first, then a month later go to Regan's. Next, we encounter Edmund, alone again, lamenting the bad fortune that he is deprived of inheritance and power because of his status from birth. He schemes that he must have his legitimate brother Edgar's land. He is just as deserving of it and is equally loved by their father. He has written a letter, and if his scheme works, Edmund claims he will grow and prosper over his legitimate brother. His father Gloucester enters, confounded by the events of the previous scene. He notices Edmund hiding the letter in his pocket and demands to see it. Edmund claims it is a letter written to him by Edgar. Gloucester reads it, and it is apparent that Edgar is inviting Edmund to scheme against their father in order to expedite his inheritance. And if Edmund helps him, Edgar will split the inheritance with him. Remember, Edmund wrote this letter himself. Edmund claims that he found the letter slipped under his bedroom door and the handwriting he quote-unquote knows to be Edgar's, even though the content is shocking. Gloucester is enraged, but Edmund assures him that it must only be Edgar trying to test Edmund's loyalty to their father, and that Edgar intends no harm to Gloucester. Edmund devises that Gloucester can hide and overhear Edmund speak with Edgar to confirm as much later that night. Gloucester agrees to the plan, and notes how out of balance the world seems between this letter and Lear's behavior. He advises Edmund to be careful because the world seems so topsy-turvy. Gloucester exits, and Edmund briefly celebrates that he was able to fool his father thus far. Edgar enters, and Edmund pretends to be in a serious contemplation. Edmund engages Edgar in a conversation about their father, asking Edgar if he thinks himself on good terms with their father. Edmund advises Edgar that he must have done something to offend their father, and tells Edgar that their father is incredibly enraged at Edgar. Edgar says that someone must have plotted against him, Edmund agrees and offers to let Edgar hide at his lodging until their father's rage subsides, and then will Edmund bring Edgar to Gloucester to talk it out. 
Edmund advises Edgar to not leave the lodging unless armed, because clearly someone is plotting against Edgar, and he must take full precautions. Edgar leaves, and Edmund confirms that his plan is off to a great start. Next, we are at Goneril and Albany's estate. Goneril is speaking with her steward, Oswald. Apparently, Lear hit Oswald for chiding Lear's fool. Goneril notes that Lear has been a royal pain to deal with, and it is becoming unendurable. The knights that Lear surrounds himself with are riotous, and Lear upbraids his daughter's household over the slightest thing. She advises Oswald to tell Lear that she is sick when Lear returns from hunting, as she doesn't want to speak with him. She also says that Oswald doesn't have to deliver five-star service to Lear. She will just deal with the inevitable blowback. They hear Lear returning, and Goneril reiterates to Oswald that he and the other servants can be negligent hosts. And if Lear doesn't like it, he can go to Regan's. In fact, she will write to Regan to advise her of their father's behavior in advance. Next, outside of Albany's estate, we see Kent disguised and planning to put on an accent to continue to serve Lear as one of Lear's knights. Lear enters with more knights and notices Kent. He interviews Kent, but does not seem to recognize him. Kent claims to not know the king either, but only wants a job to serve a man with authority. Lear allows Kent to serve him, at least through dinner. Lear dispatches knights to fetch things and make demands for him. Dinner, bring his fool to him, get Oswald to say where Goneril is, etc. One knight informs Lear that it seems that they have overstayed their welcome, or at least aren't being treated as well as they deserve. Oswald enters, and Lear strikes him when Oswald asserts that Lear is no more than Oswald's lady's father. Kent trips Oswald in defense of Lear and shoves Oswald out of the door for being rude to the king. The fool enters and comments that Lear should take the fool's hat, for Lear is being foolish. The fool points out that whoever counseled Lear to give away his land should be considered a fool as well. When Lear asks the fool if he is calling Lear a fool, the fool points out that Lear gave away all of the other titles he had, but Lear was born a fool. Goneril enters, frowning. Lear asks what is wrong, and she details how she is displeased with the behaviors of his knights and fool, as well as himself for allowing their poor behavior. Basically, they are treating everyone in her house as their servants, instead of behaving as guests. Or even more, they have made it more like an inn, tavern, brothel, than a palace. Lear won't be spoken to like that, so he calls for his train to leave. Albany enters and hears Lear call Goneril horrible things. Albany asks Lear to be patient. However, Lear is incensed and does not believe his knights capable of the behavior that Goneril says they have. Lear curses Goneril and says that she should not bear children unless those children torment her as she has tormented him. Lear exits for a moment, during which Albany expresses his confusion to Goneril, who just says that Lear is losing his mind. Lear re-enters, enraged that Goneril has ordered he reduce the number of knights who follow him by half within two weeks. He thinks Regan will take better care of him and will seek revenge on Goneril for her treatment of Lear. Lear leaves and Goneril calls in Oswald. Albany is still confused by Goneril offending Lear this much. She determines that she must do something about the number of knights because with them, Lear can basically hold her and her sister hostage against any perceived slight. She has written as much to Regan and sends Oswald to inform Regan of her concerns regarding the knights. Then, we see Lear preparing to leave for Regan's. He dispatches Kent to go to Gloucester with letters for Regan and to not answer any questions other than what is said in the letter. 
Kent leaves, and Lear is left alone with his fool. The fool implies that Lear is foolish to go to Regan's, as she is even more sour in disposition than Goneril. Lear half listens to the fool and worries about going mad. A gentleman enters and informs Lear that the horses are ready, and Lear and the fool depart. Next, Edmund and Kieran, a member of Gloucester's household, meet from different parts of Gloucester's house. Kieran delivers the message that the Duke of Cornwall and his Duchess Regan will arrive tonight. He also informs Edmund that there are rumors of an impending civil war between Cornwall and Cornwall's brother-in-law, Albany. When Kieran exits, Edmund exclaims that this is the best news for his plans. Edmund then calls Edgar downstairs. Remember, Edgar is hiding in Edmund's lodgings. Edmund advises Edgar to flee because their father is looking for him. Edmund is then quite cunning in this next bit. He directs a scene where, quietly to Edgar, the two brothers have to draw their swords against their father, who Edmund pretends is on his way in order to scare Edgar. Whenever he is loud enough for his father and others to hear, it sounds like he's fighting off Edgar. Edmund is trying to make it look to Edgar like he's defending him, but to his father, he is trying to capture Edgar. Edgar then flees. Due to Edmund's shouting, Gloucester and his servants enter. Gloucester asks where the villain, Edgar, is. Edmund lies and says Edgar tried to persuade him to murder Gloucester, and when Edmund said no, attacked him and fled. A very upset Gloucester decides he will tell Duke Cornwall about this in the hopes that the Duke will allow them to execute Edgar whenever he is captured. Edmund then adds that Edgar admitted that if he is caught, he will frame Edmund because no one will believe the bastard Edmund is innocent. Due to Edgar's disloyalty, Gloucester has decided he will find a way to make Edmund qualified to inherit his title and estate. Cornwall and Regan enter with attendants. Apparently, word travels fast in Gloucester's household because they have already heard of Edgar's treachery. Gloucester tells the Duke and Duchess that Edgar has cracked his old heart and Edmund continues to blacken Edgar's name. Cornwall gives Gloucester and Edmund permission to use his resources in order to capture Edgar. Regan then gets to the matter of why they have arrived in the middle of the night. They seek Gloucester's counsel regarding Lear's letter. Gloucester agrees to counsel. They all exit. Next, Kent, still disguised, and Oswald enter separately. Oswald asks if Kent would be so kind as to tell him where he can set their, Goneril's, horses. Kent is not so kind to help. In fact, he's wildly combative. He hurls insult after insult at Oswald, who doesn't even remember Kent. But Kent remembers that Oswald is Goneril's loyal steward, who showed no loyalty to King Lear. Kent challenges Oswald to a fight. Oswald refuses, and Kent beats him up. Edmund, Cornwall, Regan, Gloucester, and his servants hear the ruckus and enter to break up the fight. Kent is so riled up that he also challenges Edmund to a fight. Cornwall ultimately breaks everyone up. Regan recognizes both Oswald and Kent as her sisters and her father's messengers. Cornwall tries to get to the bottom of the conflict, but Kent continues to insult Oswald, noting his dislike of Oswald's face. Finally, Oswald recounts Kent and Lear's violence towards him back at Goneril's palace. Kent insults Cornwall, so Cornwall has him taken to the stocks. Kent asserts his status as the king's servant and rebutes that he is only delivering a message. They don't have the authority to put him in the stocks. Regan intervenes and asserts her authority over Lear and has the stocks brought out on stage. 
After all, Lear is a king in ceremony only. Despite Gloucester's appeal to leave Kent be, Kent is put in the stocks until the next day. He is left on stage as all but Gloucester exit. Gloucester apologizes to Kent about Cornwall putting him in the stocks. He says he'll talk to the Duke. Kent tells him not to and jokes about his condition. Gloucester exits. Kent is left on stage and reads part of a letter from Cordelia. The Arden 3rd edition notes that this letter can be read in two ways. One, that Cordelia will find time to make good on what has been lost. Or two, that Cordelia will find time to do something about the terrible state of affairs in the country. Either way, Cordelia, currently in France, is back in the picture. Kent falls asleep. Edgar enters. Kent is still on stage, but Edgar does not see him. It is possible that Edgar is somewhere out in the country, not by Gloucester's house. He says he heard the news that he is now an outlaw, and he has just barely escaped a hunt for him. In order to protect himself, he will disguise himself as a poor Bethlehem beggar called Poor Tom. Bethlehem is a reference to London's Bethlehem Hospital for the Insane, established by the 15th century. He then exits. Now we are back at Gloucester's house. Lear, his fool, and a knight enter. Lear thinks it's strange Regan and Cornwall have not sent his messenger, Kent, still in disguise, back to him. Then, Kent wakes up and addresses his master. Lear asks who sent Kent to the stocks. Lear is surprised to discover it was Regan and Cornwall. He is overcome by sadness to know that his daughter has disrespected him so and exits to find her. Kent and the fool are left on stage. The fool asks Kent if he's done anything else to deserve the stocks. Kent says no and asks why Lear came with so few knights. The fool jests that Lear's knights were not so loyal in their hearts and, in fact, are fools who abandoned their master once there was no opportunity for them. But he, the fool, will stay with Lear. Lear and Gloucester enter, presumably elsewhere in Gloucester's house. Lear, speaking as if he is still the king, is furious that Regan and Cornwall will not speak with him. Gloucester rebuts he is only the messenger. In this moment, Lear slips between a king and a father, giving orders to awaiting Cornwall and Regan. After a fair amount of fretting, Lear finally asserts himself and demands Gloucester fetch Cornwall and Regan immediately. Gloucester exits. Cornwall, Regan, Gloucester, and servants enter. Lear, Regan, and Cornwall greet each other with civility. The Arden 3rd edition notes that most Lears play the scene with tenderness towards Regan. Lear tells Regan that her sister, Goneril, is wicked and treats him harshly. Regan asserts him that he needs to be patient with her. He is less capable of valuing her merit than she is of neglecting her duties. Regan explains Goneril only wants to control Lear's debaucherous knights in her home. She clears Goneril of any blame in this conflict. She then goes so far as to recommend that, since Lear is in his old age, he should be ruled by someone who can better judge his condition. She suggests he return to Goneril and apologize. Lear cannot believe what he's just heard. He kneels to Regan, an inversion of the previous father-daughter relationship, and sarcastically begs for charity. Regan doesn't like the games Lear's playing and demands he return to her sister. Lear refuses. After all, Goneril took away half of his knights and said mean and nasty things to hurt him. He then curses Goneril. He gets really cruel towards Goneril in this scene. Regan is astonished by this and claims Lear will wish the same harshness on her when he gets angry with her. Lear denies this because Regan is tender by nature, so she and her portion of the kingdom will never turn on him. 
A flourish plays on the trumpet. Regan recognizes it as Goneril's flourish. Oswald enters. Lear, like Kent earlier, insults Oswald for being Goneril's steward. Then, of course, Goneril enters. Lear asks Regan to take his side against Goneril, but Goneril and Regan hold hands, a symbol of unity between the sisters. Lear is shocked and offended that Regan took Goneril's side in the conflict. Regan tries to compromise, that Lear return to Goneril's with fewer knights, and after a month's time, he can come stay with her and Cornwall. Lear rejects this idea. He then lists alternatives he'd prefer over returning to Goneril. Struggling against a storm, kneeling to the King of France, being a pack horse to Oswald. Goneril accepts that as his choice. Lear requests Goneril not make him mad, and then he says farewell to her, calling her a disease, the source of his corruption. He then decides that he and all of his 100 knights will stay with Regan instead. Regan responds that she is not fit to provide for him, but Goneril will be able to apply reason to Lear's passion or outbursts. In addition, Regan points out that there is no reason for him to have 100 knights. It just causes confusion as to who is in charge in Goneril's house. The deal is 25 knights. No more. Lear is gobsmacked by how Goneril and Regan, the inheritors of his land and affairs, are going back on the deal of 100 knights. Regan says she will speak of it no longer. Lear tries to negotiate for more knights, but Goneril and Regan agree. Why do you need so many followers? Lear responds that there is no reason. It's human nature to want more than you need. If you don't allow humans to have more than they need, they are no better than animals. Lear then goes on a long-winded attack of his daughters for their expensive and impractical clothing, as well as their betrayal. He proclaims he will not be made a fool. He calls out for anger appropriate to male greatness to overpower the tears, a woman's weapon, he might cry over his daughters. He then declares revenge on both of his daughters. He's not sure what it will be, but it shall be terrible. In the end, he says his heart will break into pieces or he will go mad before he cries. Lear, Gloucester, Kent, released from the stocks at some point, and Lear's fool, exit. Cornwall predicts trouble from Lear and his knights. Goneril points out Lear is to blame for all of this. He's getting a taste of his own medicine. Regan decides she will lodge her father, but none of his knights. Goneril asks for Gloucester. Gloucester re-enters and shares that Lear is furious and has called for his horse, although he doesn't know where he's riding to. If he returns, Goneril asks Gloucester to deny Lear lodging, but Gloucester warns there are high winds out. In spite of all of this, Regan asks that the doors be shut as Lear is out with his reckless knights. All exit. Outside Gloucester's castle, the high winds have turned into a storm. Kent enters and encounters an unnamed knight. Kent asks the knight where the king is, and the knight reports that Lear and his fool are out in the storm. Kent reports to the knight that there is division between Albany and Cornwall, although they are currently putting on a good face for show. They have both sent spies to France, presumably to spy on Cordelia. Kent notes that a plot appears to be brewing, but he doesn't know exactly what the plot entails just yet. He informs the knight that if the knight heads to Dover, there will be some people to meet with that will be happy to see a member of the king's train and confirm that the king's recent behavior is not normal. Kent reveals to the knight that he is a gentleman and has the capacity to offer this job to the knight. The knight is skeptical, but Kent shows him a purse containing a ring, which he says Cordelia will recognize if the knight meets her in Dover. 
They part with the knight going to Dover to meet Cordelia and France, and Kent going out into the storm to find the king. Next, we see Lear and Lear's fool elsewhere in the storm outside of Gloucester's castle. Lear is shouting at the storm, and Lear's fool is attempting to convince Lear to find shelter. Lear says that the elements are not as cruel as his daughter's. Kent enters and asks the king what Lear is doing out in the storm. Lear does not clearly answer him, and instead rails about the injustice he has been dealt. Kent tries to convince Lear to follow him to a nearby hovel to wait out the storm. While Lear stays there, Kent will go back to Gloucester's house and force them to welcome Lear back in because of the storm. Lear comments that his wits are turning and agrees to follow Kent to the hovel. Lear is sorry for dragging his fool along with him. Lear and Kent exit towards the hovel while the fool stays and directly addresses the audience with a prophecy that is basically already true in the world of the play. When the world is upside down, as it is now, then shall Albion, England, be in complete social disorder. The fool exits. Next, we are back at Gloucester's house. Gloucester is mid-discussion with Edmund and expresses that he is not comfortable with how Lear was thrown out of his house. When he asked Goneril and Regan to leave so that he could take pity on Lear, they instead overrode Gloucester's authority in his own house. Edmund agrees that it is savage and unnatural. Gloucester says that there is division between the two dukes, and, even worse, Gloucester has received a letter that says that the actions towards the king will be revenged. Gloucester says that they should side with the king, but maintain a good face with the dukes in the meantime. Gloucester exits to go find the king, and Edmund says that he is going to immediately tell the duke of his father's plans. Next, we are back to Kent, Lear, and Lear's fool, who have arrived at the hovel. Lear resists entering as he continues to lament and rail against his fortune and the actions of his daughters. He says that the storm outside cannot hurt him as much as the thoughts in his mind. Lear orders Lear's fool to enter in the hovel, and Lear's fool does. Lear continues to lament, finding empathy with those who are without homes and shelter, saying that he has taken too little care of those of his subjects who have to live outdoors in all seasons. When Lear's fool re-enters from the hovel, and we hear Edgar as poor Tom, who has apparently been living in the hovel. Edgar, as poor Tom, enters and Lear asks him how he came to be in this state and if poor Tom, like Lear, gave everything he had to his two daughters. Edgar, as poor Tom, says that it is just the devil's work that has led him here. Lear continues to see a reflection of himself in poor Tom, while Lear's fool and Kent try to convince Lear that poor Tom has no daughters. Edgar, as poor Tom, says that he was a serving man who slept with his mistress, drank, gambled, and frequented brothels. Lear is moved to take off his own clothes in order to emulate poor Tom's state, but is restrained by Kent and the fool. Gloucester enters some distance away from the hovel, and Edgar as poor Tom says that the light from Gloucester's torch is the devil. Lear is curious as to who else is out walking in the storm. Kent calls out to Gloucester, and Gloucester calls back asking for their names. Edgar answers as poor Tom, after all, he is in hiding. Gloucester recognizes Lear and says that he has come to seek Lear because he cannot follow Regan and Goneril's commands. Gloucester wants to bring Lear to a farmhouse near his castle, but Lear is more interested in talking with poor Tom, even as Kent urges Lear to take up Gloucester's offer of food, fire, and shelter. Lear agrees to go only if they can bring poor Tom with them. Gloucester allows it, and they exit together. Next, Cornwall and Edmund are discussing revenge, somewhere in Gloucester's estate. 
it appears that Edmund has written another fake letter that makes it look like Edgar was conspiring treasonously with France. Cornwall declares that Edmund will inherit the title and estate of Earl of Gloucester instead of Edgar. Cornwall instructs Edmund to seek out Gloucester so that Gloucester can be informed. Edmund notes that if he finds Gloucester comforting Lear, it will make Gloucester even more suspicious in the eyes of Cornwall. Next, we are back with Kent and Gloucester, who appear to have arrived at the farmhouse. Kent thanks Gloucester for his kindness, and Gloucester exits as Lear, Lear's fool, and Edgar as poor Tom enter. They all sit down, and Lear has them enact a mock trial of sorts. He casts the other three as judges, and they adjudicate three stools which stand in for Lear's daughters, specifically Goneril and Regan. Kent persuades Lear to rest. Gloucester returns from looking for supplies and says that he overheard a plot to assassinate Lear. The sleeping Lear must be carried in a litter, one of those enclosed seats that is carried on others' shoulders or by animals, to Dover. Kent and the fool carry Lear offstage with Gloucester leading the way. Edgar is left alone on stage and muses that his problem seems so much smaller in comparison to the king's. He prays for the king's safety and exits. Now we move back into Gloucester's castle, where Cornwall, Regan, Edmund, Goneril, and some servants are responding to Gloucester's betrayal. Cornwall instructs Goneril to go home to Albany and inform him of France's arrival in Dover. Cornwall sends servants to seek out Gloucester as a traitor. And while Goneril wants to see Gloucester's eyes plucked out and Regan wants to see him hanged, Cornwall instructs the servants to bring him back alive for Cornwall to deal with. Oswald enters and relays the news that Gloucester brought Lear back to the castle, and some of Lear's knights left with Lear to Dover. Cornwall instructs Edmund to go with Goneril, and they leave. Just as more servants are dispatched to find Gloucester, Gloucester arrives, brought in by some other servants that were dispatched earlier in the scene. Cornwall orders Gloucester to be bound to a chair. They accuse Gloucester of being a traitor and conspiring with France. Gloucester admits that he has had a correspondence, but with a neutral party. Cornwall and Regan continue to interrogate Gloucester about where he has sent the king, and why. Gloucester says he sent the king to Dover because he could not stand to see him treated as he was by Regan and Goneril. Cornwall plucks out one of Gloucester's eyes, then Regan orders him to pluck the other one out too. One of Cornwall's servants can't take it anymore and tries to stop Cornwall from plucking out the second eye. They fight and the servants wound Cornwall. Regan stabs the servant from behind and kills him. Cornwall then proceeds to pluck out Gloucester's remaining eye. Gloucester calls out to Edmund to help, but Regan reveals that it was Edmund who made Gloucester's treasons known to them and that Edmund hates his father. Gloucester realizes that he was unjust to Edgar. Regan orders Gloucester thrown out of the estate. Cornwall also orders the body of the servant who stood up to him thrown onto the dunghill. Servants exit with Gloucester and the dead body. Then, Cornwall and Regan exit. A few servants stay behind and agree to help Gloucester. They agree to find poor Tom and get him to escort Gloucester. We are back with Edgar as poor Tom, somewhere outside of Gloucester's house. He declares it is better to be openly hated than flattered by fake people who really despise you. And he welcomes the worst, for he has nothing to lose. Just then, he sees Gloucester enter, led by an old man. The old man tries to help and comfort Gloucester, but Gloucester will not hear it. Gloucester laments his current relationship with Edgar and that he wants to see him again. The old man then sees Edgar and asks who he is. 
Edgar's previous confidence is destroyed as he worries about what's to happen. Gloucester then asks if the beggar man is the same one that was with Lear. He wants the old man to have Edgar properly dressed to escort him to Dover. Gloucester asks if the beggar man knows the way to Dover, and Edgar agrees. Gloucester asks Edgar to take him to a cliff where he can end his misery. Edgar leads Gloucester offstage. Then, back at the estate of Albany, Goneril and Edmund enter, followed by Oswald. Goneril asks where her husband is. Oswald says he is inside and reports a change in him. He smiles at the news of the French army's landing. In addition, matters that he should dislike please him, and vice versa. With this news, Goneril decides to send Edmund to Cornwall to demand he speed up readying the troops. She also assigns Edmund the role of go-between for her and Albany, who she insults for his cowardliness. She then places a chain around Edmund's neck, kisses him, and orders him to bend to her. Edmund agrees to serve her and exits. Goneril gushes over Edmund, but Oswald interrupts her with the announcement of Albany's arrival. Oswald exits, Albany enters. Goneril, upset with Albany, tells her husband to watch out for her. Albany is astonished by what Goneril and Regan have done to their father. He didn't deserve this punishment. Albany scorns her and predicts a bad outcome will fall on her as a result of what she has done. Goneril calls Albany a coward and justifies stopping the threat of horrible Lear before he's given the chance to do any harm. Albany shoots back that Goneril is turning into a monster. He is so angry he could tear her apart with his bare hands, however, her womanhood stops him from that act. Then a messenger enters with news. Cornwall is dead. He was killed by the servant ordered to pluck out Gloucester's other eye. After doing the deed, the servant felt resentment and stabbed Cornwall to death. This is news to Albany, who is shocked by the crime against Gloucester. The messenger then delivers a letter to Goneril from Regan. Newly widowed, Regan wants to marry Gloucester who is Edmund, the new Earl of Gloucester. Due to Cornwall's death, it also looks like the country will remain undivided in favor of Goneril and Albany. Goneril exits to answer the letter. Albany and the messenger remain on stage. Albany asks where Gloucester's son Edmund was while his eyes were being plucked out. The messenger says, with Goneril. Edmund knew what was happening because he outed Gloucester as a traitor and abandoned his father. Albany thanks the elder Gloucester for his loyalty to the king and promises to avenge him. He then asks the messenger to share more information as they exit. Next, Kent, still disguised, and a gentleman enter and talk about the king of France. After his troops landed in France, the king returned to France to tend to unfinished business there. The Marshal of France, Monsieur Lafarre, was left in his place. Kent then asks if Cordelia was moved by his letter. The gentleman says yes, she was very touched, not to the point of rage, but rather to the idyllic sorrow of a woman. She didn't say much, aside from showing shock at her sister's behavior towards their father, and she is grieving. Kent reveals that Lear is in a state of immense regret for how harshly he treated Cordelia, and this shame is why he can't reach out to her. Kent then says he'll lead the gentleman to Lear, but that he, Kent, must stay in his disguise for the time. Cordelia, the gentlemen, and soldiers enter. Cordelia spots Lear in madness, wearing a crown made of weeds and grass. Cordelia demands an officer send 100 knights, as well as Lear, to her. She also promises that whoever can restore Lear's mind will get all her worldly possessions. The officer and soldiers exit. The gentleman assures Cordelia there are effective medicines to help Lear. 
Cordelia prays that nature can restore Lear before his insanity kills him. A messenger then enters and shares the news that the British army is on the march. While the French army is definitely prepared for the British forces, Cordelia states that her real business is to fight for Lear's rights against Goneril and Regan. They all exit. We are now with Regan and Oswald. Oswald has just delivered a letter to Regan. Oswald also confirms that Albany now has power over her portion of the kingdom. Regan then admits regret over plucking out Gloucester's eyes. She fears the consequences from Gloucester's allies. Then Oswald dismisses himself. He has to deliver a letter to Edmund from Goneril. Regan asks if she can unseal the letter to see its contents. Oswald is uncomfortable with this request. Regan then gossips that Goneril doesn't love her husband and is interested in Edmund. However, Regan says that after she and Edmund talked, we never see this conversation on stage. She's decided Edmund is more suitable for her circumstances of being widowed than of Goneril's. She asks Oswald to also bring Edmund a letter from her. Before Oswald leaves, Regan shares that if she does see the traitor Gloucester, a promotion will be rewarded to anyone who, quote-unquote, cuts him off or kills him. Oswald responds that if he encounters Gloucester, he'll show Regan where his loyalty lies. They exit. Gloucester with a staff and Edgar in peasant's clothing enter. Gloucester asks when they'll be at the top of Dover Cliff. Edgar lies and says they're climbing the cliff now. Gloucester suspects his lie and notices that Edgar's speech has changed. Edgar depicts the fake scene on the top of the cliff and notes that he won't look any longer for fear he'll get dizzy from the height and topple over. Upon hearing this, Gloucester asks to stand in his place. Gloucester pays Edgar for his services and then kneels and prays about his suicide. Before he says goodbye, he blesses Edgar, who he doesn't know is already with him, and falls. Edgar then puts on a voice to check on Gloucester, who has really only fallen to the ground. Edgar asks Gloucester if he is alive or dead. Gloucester wishes to be left to die, but Edgar continues the fake story and says it's a miracle that he's survived a fall from the high summit. Gloucester wishes he would have died, but accepts Edgar's arm to stand. Edgar asks what devil left him at the top of the cliff. Gloucester says that he thought it was a man. Either way, this devil or man led him to the cliff. Lear enters and Edgar spots him in the crown of weeds and grass. Lear is talking to himself. He makes speeches of nonsense, as well as segments reflecting the conflict with his daughters insulting his authority as king. But his madness makes the through line difficult to follow. He then speaks what Kent and Cordelia told him in the beginning of the play. There is a difference between words and meaning. Gloucester recognizes Lear's voice. Lear declares, yes, he is every inch the king. In the next speech, he continues his fixation over the portrayal of his daughters, which leads to an overall comparison of women to whores and devils. He asks Gloucester for perfume, as if Gloucester is a druggist. Gloucester requests to kiss Lear's hand. Gloucester asks if Lear remembers him. Lear says he remembers his eyes well enough and asks Gloucester to read a letter. Gloucester admits he cannot see one. He now sees feelingly. Lear asks if Gloucester is mad and tells him to see the world with other senses. Ultimately, Lear says that, in this world, no one offends because everyone sins, and he authorizes everyone to go on sinning. Lear advises Gloucester to get glasses and see life like a politician. Lear comforts Gloucester, and through his tears, Lear recognizes Gloucester's identity. Lear then speaks of two common places for Shakespeare, how all the world's a stage and how men are fools. 
He recognizes his role playing king, as well as his folly as a fool. He then declares he'll lead the troops into battle against his son-in-laws and kill them. A gentleman and two attendants enter. The gentleman demands the attendants grab Lear because of his dear daughter. Lear thinks this is not a rescue, but instead an arrest. He offers the men money, to which the gentleman says he can have anything. Lear says that he wants his supporters, but if he can't have any, he will die courageously. He is the king after all. The men acknowledge his authority and say they obey him. Lear then decides there's no use in dying courageously if he can run away. He takes off in a sprint. The attendants chase after him. The gentleman observes that it is a pity seeing a king in that condition. One of Lear's daughters, Cordelia, has been sent to right the wrong done to him by his other daughters. Edgar then asks the gentleman how near the British troops, led by Goneril and Regan, are. The gentleman responds they should meet up with the French troops at any hour. He also mentions that Cordelia has left her troop because she has to take care of Lear. The gentleman exits. Still on stage, Gloucester asks the gods to just let him die. Edgar tells Gloucester that's a good prayer, so Gloucester asks who is there. Edgar responds that he is a poor man who, due to seeing so much bad fortune, has a lot of compassion. He offers to take Gloucester to a dwelling. Gloucester thanks him and promises to compensate him. Just then, Oswald enters and proclaims his good fortunes have led him to the traitor. Oswald draws his sword and threatens to kill Gloucester. Gloucester encourages Oswald because he wants to die. Oswald then warns Edgar that he is helping a traitor and demands that he let go of Gloucester. Edgar puts on a West Country accent, another disguise, to refuse the demand. Oswald threatens that he'll die as well if he doesn't let go. Edgar then threatens Oswald with the staff. They have come to an impasse, so Oswald and Edgar fight. Oswald falls and, as he is dying, he asks Edgar to deliver the letters for Edmund, Earl of Gloucester, in the name of the English. Oswald then dies. Edgar recognizes Oswald as the loyal servant of Goneril. Edgar pulls out the letter and reads its contents. Goneril's letter to Edmund says that he, Edmund, has many opportunities to end her husband, Albany. If that happens, she will reward him. If it doesn't happen, she will be a prisoner in her marriage, and he, Edmund, should deliver her from this prison and become her new husband. Edgar is astounded by Goneril's plot to end the Duke's life and marry his brother Edmund. He decides he will bury Oswald and, when the time is right, take the letter to the Duke to warn him. He drags Oswald's body offstage. Gloucester, left alone, admits the king is mad. He then wishes he would be mad, for madness would separate his sorrows from wild delusions. Edgar returns. He hears drums in the distance, so he leads his father to a friend's house. They exit. Cordelia, Kent, still disguised, and a gentleman enter. Cordelia asks Kent what she can do to repay him for his goodness. Kent says to be recognized is more than enough. Cordelia asks Kent to change back into his own clothes, but Kent asks that she let him remain in disguise for his plan. Cordelia then asks the gentleman of her father's condition. The gentleman says he's asleep and asks if he can wake him. Cordelia says whatever he thinks is best. Lear, still asleep, is carried in by servants on a chair. He has been dressed in fresh garments. The gentleman asks Cordelia to stay nearby when they wake Lear up, because they don't know how he'll act when he wakes up. Cordelia gives her father a kiss to repair the hurt done by her two sisters. 
She then empathizes for her father, who was unprotected in the crosshairs and left with vagrants. No wonder his life and his mind have gone altogether. Lear wakes up to Cordelia. He says that she has wronged him. She should have left him to die. Cordelia asks if he knows who she is, and he says she is a spirit. The gentleman suggests she leave him alone while he comes to his senses. Lear is not entirely sure where he is or what condition he is in. He even pricks himself to see if he is real. Cordelia then kneels to Lear, so Lear tries to stand to kneel to her. She stops him. Lear asks that she not mock him, for he is a senile old man. But while Lear can't recall much, he thinks she is his daughter, Cordelia. Lear sees Cordelia crying, but accuses her of having a cause to wrong him like Goneril and Regan. Cordelia says she does not. He asks if he is in France, and Cordelia confirms he is in his own kingdom, but Lear still thinks he's being mocked. The gentleman suggests that, even though Lear's madness seems to be over, don't try to explain to him the time he has lost. Give him time to recover. So Cordelia asks Lear if he wants to go for a walk. Cordelia and Lear exit. Kent and the gentleman are left on stage to provide us updates. In case you forgot, the Duke of Cornwall was slain, and Edmund, the illegitimate son of Gloucester, commands Cornwall's army. The gentleman also shares a rumor that Edgar, the banished son, is with Kent in Germany. Before the gentleman leaves, he predicts that the end of this war will be bloody. He exits. Kent, alone on stage, declares his plan will work out either as good or as bad as today's battle. He exits. Next, somewhere outside of Dover, Edmund and Regan have arrived with soldiers prepared for battle and are discussing whether or not Albany will fight, as Albany has been constantly changing his mind. Regan asks Edmund if he loves her sister and if he has slept with Goneril. He answers that he loves Goneril virtuously and that just thinking of sleeping with her would wrong Regan. Regan is still worried that Edmund has been intimate with Goneril and warns him to not be, as the very thought of it makes Regan more hostile to her sister. Albany and Goneril arrive. Albany says he is only there to stop the French forces from invading England, not to oppose Lear. Goneril asks why, with their combined forces, could they not do both? Albany retorts that the decision should be left to those more experienced in war, and Edmund leaves to await further discussion in Albany's tent. The sisters exchange some terse words, as they both realize that they are in competition over Edmund. They exit. Before Albany can leave, Edgar enters, still disguised. He gives Albany a letter, the one from Goneril that was found on Oswald and contains damning evidence against Edmund, and bids Albany to read it before the battle. If Albany wins the battle, he should sound the horn to call for someone to prove what is in the letter. Edgar says that although he looks like a peasant, he promises Albany that if Albany does this, this peasant will be able to procure someone to fight in his honor. Albany asks Edgar to stay until he has read the letter, but Edgar says he is forbidden to do so and exits. Albany agrees to read the letter as soon as possible. Some productions may have him read it right after Edgar exits. Edmund enters and gives Albany news that France's forces have arrived on the battlefield. Albany exits to prepare for battle, leaving Edmund on stage for his final soliloquy. He reveals that he has sworn love to both Goneril and Regan, and both are suspicious of the other. However, he can't enjoy either one if the other remains alive. To just be with Regan would make Goneril mad, 
However, Edmund can't make good on his secret vows to Goneril while she is married to Albany. He plans to use Albany for support in battle, but once the battle is over, he can let Goneril devise Albany's murder so that they can also be together. And though Albany intends to show mercy to Lear and Cordelia, if Albany and Edmund win the battle, Edmund will not allow the pardon, especially once Albany is murdered. Next, we see the state of things on the French side of the battleground. Lear, Cordelia, and soldiers cross the stage and exit on their way to battle. Then, Edgar, still in peasant's clothing, and Gloucester enter. Edgar sits Gloucester beneath a tree for safety during the battle and promises to return. He exits, and Gloucester is left alone on stage while the battle happens offstage. A retreat is sounded, and Edgar returns. Edgar tries to hurry his father offstage and explains that King Lear has lost the battle and Cordelia has been taken prisoner. Gloucester despairs and asks to be left there, but Edgar is able to convince him to come along. They exit. Next, we are back on the English side of the battleground. Edmund enters with Lear and Cordelia as his prisoners. Edmund orders soldiers to take the two captives away. Cordelia is ready to confront her sisters. However, Lear says that they can live out the rest of their days together in prison and be happy together. They are led off stage as Edmund addresses a captain who gives a warrant for the death of Cordelia and Lear. He instructs the captain to follow Lear and Cordelia to prison, and if the captain carries out the warrant, Edmund will make it worth his while. The captain agrees, and Edmund instructs him to do exactly what is written in the warrant. Apparently, Edmund has given instructions on how to kill both Lear and Cordelia. The captain leaves, and Albany, Goneril, and Regan enter. Albany asks Edmund where the captives are as he plans to deal with them. Edmund replies that he has sent the king and Cordelia to prison. He lies and tells Albany that the two prisoners will be kept safe and be ready for Albany tomorrow or whenever Albany wants to deal with them. First, Edmund suggests they should all rest and tend to the wounded. Albany reminds Edmund of his place. He isn't Albany's brother-in-law. Regan pipes up that she esteems Edmund as Albany's equal and has the power to make him so. After all, Edmund was the commander for her faction of the war, and she holds him as her second. Then, Goneril pipes up that Edmund doesn't need Regan's help to be Albany's equal. Regan retorts that she can give him the best social promotion with the titles she can bestow on him. Albany interjects that Regan would be correct if Edmund were her husband. The sisters exchange a few words, then Regan surrenders all of her wealth and herself to Edmund. Goneril asks if Regan intends to marry him here. Albany notes that Goneril's interference appears to not be out of goodwill. Edmund challenges Albany. Regan calls on Edmund to agree to be her lord and master. Then, Albany pulls out the result of that letter he was given by Edgar. He arrests Edmund for capital treason and Goneril for collusion. He bars Regan's claim to Edmund because he knows that Goneril has already betrothed herself to Edmund. Albany jokes that Regan can marry him since his wife is already spoken for. Albany challenges Edmund to a duel over the treasons. Then, Regan falls sick and is taken off stage as a herald enters and declares that if any man in the army can prove that Edmund is a traitor, he should make himself known by the third sound of the trumpet. This is the moment Edgar asked Albany for when he delivered that letter. The trumpet sounds three times and Edgar enters armed. Albany has the herald ask who Edgar is. Edgar says that his name is Lost, but he is as noble as Edmund and asks who speaks for Edmund. Edmund responds that he will answer for himself. Edgar challenges Edmund to say that in spite of Edmund's rank and recent victory, 
that he is a traitor and that he is a liar through and through. If Edmund says no, Edgar will prove in a duel that Edmund is a liar. Edmund insists that he is not a traitor, and they begin to fight. In the fight, Edmund falls. Albany calls on Edgar to leave Edmund alive so that he can be questioned. Goneril upbraids Edmund that he did not have to fight this unnamed adversary. Albany tells her to shut up and shows her the letter he has. Albany tells Edgar to stop the duel for a moment. Albany then prevents Goneril from tearing up the letter and notes that she seems to recognize it. She retorts that even if she does, as the queen, she can't be indicted for treason, and then exits. Albany shows the letter to Edmund, and in the face of death and the proof of his wrongdoing, Edmund admits to everything he's been accused of, and more. Edmund then asks that the nameless noble he was fighting reveal his true identity. Edgar reveals himself and that he knows all that has befallen their father. Albany embraces Edgar and asks how he knows all this. Edgar summarizes how he hid his poor Tom and was a nurse to Gloucester. He shares that a half hour ago, he revealed his true identity to his father and the truth of their pilgrimage together. Unfortunately, Gloucester's heart could not take the joy and grief at the same time, and Gloucester passed away. Both Edmund and Albany are moved by Edgar's tale and note that he still seems to have more to say. Edgar continues that there is more to top his tale of woe. While Edgar was lamenting the loss of his father, Kent appeared. Edgar revealed himself to Kent, and Kent cried and embraced Edgar, then threw himself on the body of Gloucester. During this, Kent told the tale of himself and Lear. Then the trumpet sounded, and Edgar left Kent in a stunned state of grief. Then a gentleman enters with the bloody knife, crying for help. The knife apparently came from the heart of Goneril, who stabbed herself after poisoning her sister, who is now dead. Kent enters as Albany orders the gentleman to produce the bodies of both Goneril and Regan. They are brought out, and Kent asks Albany where the king is. Albany asks Edmund where the king and Cordelia are. Edmund is distracted by the bodies of Goneril and Regan. He seems surprised that he was beloved and that Goneril was willing to poison her own sister and kill herself for his sake. Edmund has a change of heart and asks to have a message quickly sent to the castle to counteract his warrant on the lives of Lear and Cordelia. Albany, Edgar, and Edmund send a gentleman in haste to the castle to intervene with the captain. The gentleman will bear Edmund's sword as proof that the message comes directly from Edmund. Edmund admits that he gave the captain orders to hang Cordelia and make it look like a suicide. Albany orders Edmund to be taken away. Lear enters, howling, with the dead Cordelia in his arms. He sets her down and attempts several tries to check if she is still breathing, first with a mirror, then with a feather. Kent tries to comfort him, but Lear shakes him off and says that he was the one who found and cut Cordelia down. He then recognizes Kent, who reveals that he disguised himself as Lear's servant this whole while. Kent also tells Lear that Goneril and Regan are dead. Albany expresses doubt that Lear is understanding anything that they are telling him. A messenger enters and delivers the news that Edmund is dead. Albany notes that that is the least of their worries. He promises to provide whatever comfort he can to Lear. He will give back his absolute power to Lear for the rest of Lear's life and restore the rights that were taken from Edgar and Kent, and give them more due to their service in battle. Lear then draws their attention, lamenting over Cordelia and calling her his fool as a term of endearment. 
The Arden Third Edition notes that this also recalls Lear's fool, who the audience has not seen since Lear and his fool left the farmhouse for Dover, and that this suggests that Lear's fool is also dead. Lear then dies. Edgar rushes to try and revive Lear, but is unable to. Albany orders the bodies borne away in preparation for a funeral march and restores Edgar and Kent to their titles and power so that they can work to maintain order in the realm, or perhaps rule jointly with him. Kent notes that he will shortly follow Lear beyond the grave and therefore declines Albany's offer. Edgar accepts and ends the play noting that they must first grieve, but from thenceforth speak freely of what they feel instead of saying only what they should say. They are young and will not need to suffer in order to learn the lessons Lear and Gloucester learned throughout the course of the play. They exit with a funeral march. And that's King Lear. Thanks for listening. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone? Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From King Lear, Act 2, Scene 2, Spoken by Lear. Strike her young bones, you taking airs with lameness.